out of nowhere, the fire just, the fire had every reason to move, go right through us and move on. And then just right before it did, all of a sudden it just burned itself up and it was gone within about 30 seconds. And so I was like, yeah, like one moment we were just like trying, couldn't even keep up. And then that second we were just standing there. This is Camus. And this is Kylie. Welcome to God is Real, God is Good, a podcast where we collect stories about God working in people's lives through big miraculous ways all the way down to small everyday things. Hi, this is Camus, and this week we have Reese Majors with us. Reese is a friend of both Kylie's and I's. He's kind of one of the real, first real friends that we made here in Kuski because we moved and then Kylie and I had college and things and... Reese worked for mom and all of a sudden we had a friend and introduced us to the majority of our other friends somehow. But anyway, Reese has been listening to our podcast pretty much since the very, very beginning and giving us lots of recommendations and ideas. The Valentine's episode was all Reese. So he's actually contributed a lot of great things to our podcast. And he's finally, thankfully, has agreed to share his own story, which we've been pestering him about forever, but he finally agreed. And years and years and years. We haven't been doing it years and years and years. But, yeah. yes, he finally conceded, and we're super, super thankful for him for that. So, Reese, why don't you tell us where you're from? I am born and raised in north-central Idaho, pure blood. Yay, Idahoan. Yeah, born in... I was born in a small town, about a 45 minute to an hour where I live, and I grew up within about a mile. So every time, I've moved like two or three times, and I haven't moved more than like a mile away from that, my yeah. parents' property. But hey, fun stuff. Yeah, which is just outside of Kamei. So. Yes. So, small town, Kamei. Yeah. Always pronounced wrong. Yes, because it's an Indian name. All right, well, let us pray. Dear Father in Heaven, thank you for Reese and his willingness to share his story with us today. Please be with him, give him the words to speak and the thoughts to know what is best to share. And help us as the listeners to have our minds open and to also be blessed from hearing this and just really take these lessons to heart. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, Reese, why don't you tell us a little bit about your religious background growing up? So I grew up in a strong Christian home. Um, I think my mom was like first or second gener- generation Christian, and my dad came. Okay, so my first three siblings were born on the family, were the sixth generation on the family farm, mm-hmm. and so my dad came from multiple generations of being in the active in the church. Yeah. So I have a long track record coming from dad's side of the family. So yeah, so I grew up in a Christian home. Um, with strong parents and great background and all that stuff. And so I was growing up, I was probably decided to accept Christ probably when I was in my early teens, but growing up, I was kind of always pretty much more or less like knew God more or less, like kind of like understood that he existed and all that stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't until, no, like most people like, most, well, most people are living in like, some levels of like serious sin, not much I probably was anyway. But like most people, like there's from have like a big change when they become Christian because they were mm-hmm. coming out of, of like drugs or whatever. Uh, for me, it was 
kind of more of a smaller transition because I was already more or less living the life. And so I, I just got to the point where it was just one day I was like, okay, I, yeah, I'll do this. Like, this is where I'm going to do this now. So, like, yeah, for me, I never really had that, like, like this is the date. <laughs> so, yeah. so I was, and so. Because, like, when you grow up in a Christian home, like, you're already doing a lot of the things that yeah. normally would change. Like, you're already going to church, you're probably reading the mm-hmm. Bible and praying, so, like, not a lot externally really changes. Yeah, and I was never the kind of person to be big on, like, I was never into drugs and any of that stuff anyway, so it's just, like, there wasn't, because of the life I grew up in, there was never a serious change, mm-hmm. and, uh, but I just already kind of knew it, and... A lot of it is because, I think, of my family growing up, because my family traveled a lot-ish. And so, like, I was already kind of familiar with, like, for like the, my age back then, I was already familiar with life in general, because by the time I, on my 11th birthday, I'd already been in two countries and probably over half the U.S. Yeah. And so, you know, I spent, well, I think when I was seven or eight, I spent two weeks, a couple weeks down in Mexico. And then for my 11th birthday, we were actually down out of taking care of an orphanage for six, six months. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of already had an overall understanding in some ways. And so I got to see a lot of God's hand and stuff, especially at the orphanage, interacting with the kids and stuff. And there's a few. Yeah. And so, like there's a, there's a lot of power in, like, Christian families because, like, we're all broken and we all have, like, struggles and different, like, generational traumas and things like that. But, like, when God is in your family, like, there's a special type of love and a healing and Mm -hmm. attempted family growth. So I'm sure that's really encouraging to see that, you know, like, things do get better. Yeah, because in the orphanage, all you know know is probably dysfunctional families and all that stuff. Different things getting shifted around. You don't know your parents or your... Parents were deemed incapable of taking care of you. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think after I got into my early teens and kind of decided to make a little bit more of the decision for myself, I kind of floated, still kind of the good Christian family for probably till after high school. And then I went, when I was 19, I went to a Bible school for a couple months in Colorado. And that probably wasn't the most perfect fit, but one of those that even though it wasn't good fit it's one of those things that was like it's a good experience mm-hmm. and after you know years later after continuing on and continuing on with life it, it can be like okay like you know that was you know not knowledge of different things to draw off of and start understanding more and more yeah and so that there's able to spend some good at, at the very least that was a good time to just actually sit down and kind of get away from normal life and distractions yes <laughs> because that's good to do at least once or twice because oftentimes when you i find when you especially when you grow up in an area and you're going to continue living in a certain area there's always distractions or like like reputation sort of a thing so like you feel slightly awkward and embarrassed when you start changing and so it's nice to kind of withdraw yeah, because when you grow up in the same community, everybody knows you, so when you, like, mm-hmm. fall on your face or making changes, everyone's, like, 
I don't know, like making dirty looks at you or basically like, why are you changing? But like when you can get outside of that environment yeah. and just focus on God, it's a lot less stressful and you feel okay to kind of figure his stuff out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did that. I content, I kind of, after I got home from that, I kind of just kind of stayed home for a few years and worked, which is great because a lot of people is like, oh, like you can't spread Christianity at work in a day job and all that stuff and whatever. But I was like, no, not really. Because like even like the gospel, you don't have to go somewhere to spread the gospel. Yeah. And it's just like even at work day to day, I show up at work, you know, I'm self-employed. I run my own clients and I've, you know, working with, I'm, I actually see a lot of people, different people on a regular basis. And I've had a few number amount of times where people are just stopping. Like when you're not doing normal worldly things with how you talk or act people i've had a few t- you know people notice when you're different and they're like stop and like hey i you know like you go to church or whatever and they actually start prompting conversations which is actually which is nice for me because like mm-hmm. it's less work that i have to do but yeah it's less intrusive <laughs> they're coming to you yes and they're in a lot of ways that's great because they're a lot more open and open to it because a lot of times if you go to someone trying to like talk to them about it they're just like oh no I don't want to hear it yeah yeah and so I was able to back to um after I got done with Colorado came home for a few years and then I started getting the urge to travel I I like to get out and Mm -hmm. about but I also like being home so like I usually like leave for a few weeks and travel and then like okay I'm ready to be back home yeah and so had some interesting experiences three years ago, I think it was. I did, I'd kind of been wanting to do a little bit of traveling, see some friends I met in Colorado and relatives I haven't seen for a long time. There's a few states that I wanted to go visit that I hadn't been to. And I started looking at it, I'm like, well, if I go to this state, then I might as well get to go a little bit farther and do go to that place too. Yeah. I'm all, like, this is on the East Coast. I'm like, if I'm already going out there, I might as well like, do all this other stuff. And so I just went out to, took a quick road trip out with dad to see grandpa in Illinois and saw a couple of friends and coming back. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to plan on doing my road trip next year. So this was about three or four years ago. I'd struck out, struck out my cheap little car that looked like it was on drugs. <laughs> little, the little two-door Civic that grew up on gravel roads. And I, the car ran but it obviously hadn't had its tetanus shot or vaccinations. It was just like a rattly old car. <laughs> and I left for like two months. And I during this trip, I, d- I think I ran like 37 states plus Canada. And But anyway, back to on this trip. Uh, originally, I was just like, you know, road trip, vacation, and I'll go see some destinations. Mm-hmm. And just before I left home... A couple of friends are like, hey, do you want some Bibles to hand out to some people? I'm like, sure, why not? It doesn't hurt to have Bibles, you know, who knows what'll happen. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> At Dale and Jake. Um <laughs> characters. So like I got I stuffed this box of Bibles into my trunk and pretty much kind of forgot about them for the first couple of weeks or so. And uh yeah, had started heading out east, started, made a few stops, stopped to see grandpa in Illinois. When I was there, at that point, I knew I was going up into Canada. And when I was there with Grandpa, he's like, hey, I want to, we were out in this garden digging up turnips that he grew. And he's like, hey, I want to box, box some of these up. 
to send with you to your aunt's place in Virginia. And at that point, I told him, like, Grandpa, look, I'm going to Canada. You're not allowed to take produce across the border. Like, they're going to throw it out. And he's like, no, I want you to take it anyway. I'm like, okay, (laughs) but just saying they're going to be wasted. Yeah. And and so, like, I get up into this Canada or the Canadian border. I'm in this car that looks like it's on drugs. Simply, and, like, it's... I got it for cheap, and it's a cheap money saver car, so I I didn't care. And I get up to the up to the Canadian border, and at this point, I'm dealing with the Canadians. Mm-hmm. And I pull up, hand them my passport. They're like, "Okay, go park over there. Go inside. Talk to the people behind the counter." I'm like, okay, they're obviously not happy about something. So I go inside. And I'm like, nothing to hide. Go inside. Like, they're asking me some couple profile questions. And they're like, okay, go sit down. We're going to go out and search your car. I'm like, okay, whatever. I just want to leave. So I go sit yeah. down. And right where I sit down, I can see the back of my car. And they go outside. And I'm just kind of sitting there for a few minutes. I look over and I see them opening the back of my car and removing the box of Bibles. So mm-hmm. I was kind of like, hmm, I wonder. So <laughs> they come back in, ask me some questions. And, uh, hand me my passport and I started to leave and I'm like oh hey what's up with a box of bibles in your car like a box of 40 bibles I'm no they probably don't have, most people don't have bibles with them so they're like, like this is <laughs> why weird. do you have 40 <laughs> why do you have 40 bibles in your car like this is weird uh, like it's not illegal but anyway so I, it's kind of interesting I got to kind of like give them a, a quick 30 explain 30 second explanation of like you know like it's kind of why I got bibles in the car and I you know hand out people People want them, whatever. So it's like, okay. So they let me go, and I go up into Canada for about a day. And I come back, and this time I'm dealing with the U.S. Mm-hmm. And at this point, they're like, they're sure I'm dealing drugs or something. They're like, <laughs> they're like I felt like I was in there for 30 minutes answering questions like, no, I don't have any objects in the car. I didn't pick anything up off the ground. Like, no, like, like I'm not doing anything wrong. And like, like. They were were confident I was doing something wrong wrong, because, like, why would you come all the way, 3,000 miles, all the way across the country, just across into Canada for, like, 24 hours? I'm trying to tell them, like, road trip. You know, like, I'm here. Why not? And so, like, they go out to do a full drug search in the car and everything, and they come back in, hand me my passport, and like, okay, you can go. I'm like, I, I had to ask to get my keys back. To the car yes. and I start turning around and I start asking me again like what well, like oh yeah by the way why do you have a box of bibles in the car I'm like I was and so I, I kind of got to explain to him again like with the different guards this time like why I have bibles in the car and like looking back I wish I would have taken it way further than I did but I was like nerve-wracked because like security guards and yeah. like you know what I would have been a great cause to get arrested for but like <laughs> still like yeah you know, I got to explain to him like you know, I, yeah I got bibles in the car and like all this stuff and you know kind of would be interesting to you know if those security guards ever occasionally think about like that one random person with bibles but be interesting to know how that all turned out for them but it's like kind of interesting being able to like at least, you know, like, hey, I... Yeah, like, just in how you live your life, and, like, even though your car looks cheap, and, like, mm-hmm. you could potentially be a drug dealer, like, you know, in actuality, like, you have Bibles, and your life is different. It's not, yeah. like, something typical. Like, you can tell that, like, God has changed it somehow, or, like, it, right. like God is present. 
But the inter- the other interesting part, though, is I, I got in and out of Canada and got stopped and questioned like, uh, the Bibles and everything. But I realized after I got back into the U.S., I got in and out of Canada and they never asked me why I had the turnips sitting on the floor of my car behind my seat. Like, <laughs> they were so concerned with everything else. They bypassed the one thing they could have, like, maybe have gotten me on. And so it's just like, well... God provides. He works yeah, it's it like, out. They're not, not going to stop you for what you, they think, what you think they're going to stop you for. And yet, they asked me about the other things I got, got to share about, like why I got Bibles. And so that was kind of like one of the first interesting things on that trip, which is like normal red trip, and yet I get to still talk about things. And, mm-hmm. and then I kind of continued on my way to down south, Started, well, yeah, at that point, I started in Maine, started hitting up all those states going down the coast and got to my aunt's place in Virginia. And at that point, I started thinking about going to Washington, D.C. And like before I left home, I decided I, I had no interest in going to any cities. I wanted to avoid all the high population areas. Like, yeah, I, I don't want civilization. And But at that point, I started thinking, like, you know what? I'm already here. Like, may not get this chance to go to D.C., might as well go, you know, like check it out, go sightseeing and stuff. And yeah, I happened to be so I started planning, like, I'll go, like, I'll go to DC next weekend over the weekend or something. Mm-hmm. And I happened to call home and I was happened to be talking to mom. And at this point, I'd been gone for about a month and hadn't really talked to anybody back yeah. at home. And she's like, Oh, hey, like, by the way, there's there's a thing called in dc called david's tent as uh, a guy started out there they set up this tent on like the, the big main lawn and they do uh christian music worship praise and worship 24 7 oh that's cool and they have like they have time set aside for like a week for every state for that like a particular state state to come send send a, a team to come to help run this state this tent for about a week mm-hmm. so they have week-long period different week-long periods time set aside for different states and uh so like i'm in virginia i happen to be talking to mom i'm like hey i'm going to dc this next weekend and she's like oh yeah by the way there's this thing called david's tent and next week it's idaho weeks and a group of your friends from back here at home is going there to run for the entire week oh, to support I this i'm like i hadn't talked to anybody like like been gone for a month and like somehow me and a few friends are end up in the same location 3000 miles away at the same time. Oh that's so cool. So that was kind of interesting how that worked out. So I ended up hooking up with them and spending about half the week there with them in DC being able to see more and also being able to invest time in this tent which mm-hmm. I don't sing but fortunately I was able to do other things than <laughs> sing but like so that was interesting, just how things come a pass come to pass because just like random sporadically. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, God's timing, you know. Yeah, like you probably planned this trip for like a few weeks at least. I've been having this, been planning on doing this trip for a year. Yeah, and like somehow ended up on the East Coast with the same time as like a number of my friends. Yeah, and you didn't even know this thing was happening, but yet God worked it all. Yeah, out. it's like. Wasn't going to D.C., didn't know that David's tent existed, and had only about a week's worth of planning of actually 
in advance of actually being there, and somehow we all showed up <laughs> on the same weekend. Yeah. And so, and then the third big thing on that trip was while I was there, okay, so a little bit of uh, explaining. There's a, I have a couple of friends that I grew up with, and one of them I graduated with. They went out and were, there's a place called Reach Global. They do hurricane relief after hurricane disasters and all that. It's Christian based and like people volunteer for like two year commitments, pretty much missions to run staff this and then they have teams coming in every for week long commitments to rebuild people's homes and share the gospel. So oh, I wow. double package. That's and so really cool. I had a couple of friends that were down in Texas working that were staffing down there for like two year commitments. And just before I left on my trip, there was another hurricane in North Carolina, and they sent up and started a new base there in North Carolina. So, like, just before I left home, I'm like, you know, if I have extra time, maybe I'll stop there and spend some time there working, Mm -hmm. doing ministry. And so when I was in D.C., I'm I'm like, okay, I got time. So I called my friend up and mentioned, like, told her, I'm like, okay, like, like, I'm got two weeks for... I, I'm here, I got two weeks for North Carolina, like, if you want. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, sure, great, like, need a lot of help. Here's Ryan's name and number, he's the person in charge over there, give him a call. So I called Ryan, and he's like, okay, I got two weeks. He's like, great, show up. But one of the things is, is, like, there's a whole bunch of, like, paperwork that you gotta, like, fill out and submit, and I'm like, yeah. I'm on the road, and, like, by the time, it's kind of hard to get this paperwork, paperwork, and by the time I get it, like, fill it out if I could, and then mail it in, like, it's going to be getting there by the, by the time I show up. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, like, the door, God somehow just, like, opened the door, so I like, either didn't have to fit, like, fully fill everything out, or I just, like, kind of finished filling it out when I was there and just, like, handed it to him. Mm-hmm. And so, like, somehow, like, the doors got rearranged, so, like, that it wasn't an issue. And so, half, when I, yeah, I spent half a week in D.C., Drove to Kentucky to spend the weekend with some friends and then left Sunday morning and drove straight to North Carolina for two weeks. And I pulled in in North Carolina. And like, I knew I'd be probably be doing construction stuff. And I've done construction before. I've been on crews. And a few times I've helped out with crews. I was usually the new guy. So I was usually put on the low, low end of the totem pole. Not mm-hmm. the funnest. But at that point, you know, like, I've been living out of, this, out of this teeny weeny little car for a month and a half. I'm like starting to feel claustrophobic. I like, like you know what? Like this is missions. It's for a good cause. I don't care what I do. I just want to get out of the car and do some manual labor mm. for two weeks. Yeah. And so like I just thought I would have like the miserable work. Like well, I didn't know what to expect, but I thought I would be given like the miserable jobs possibly, and like I didn't care. Yeah. Because I want to be physically active because I'm kind of an active person. And I I show up Sunday night and I meet Ryan and I'm not even talking to him for like five minutes. And he's like, oh, hey, so I see that you're wearing Carhartt clothing. Like, what's your experience running a truck and trailer? So I was like, well, I kind of do it all the time at work, at home for work. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a big truck trailer equipment tools i run i drive it every day all summer long so it's like it and plus i grew up on a farm so like it's kind of like 
yeah, I can't do it up truck and trailer all the time. He's like, great, fill out this piece of paper so that way you can drive our, our vehicles. I'm like, okay, if that's what you want me to do. So I filled out the piece of paper. Next morning, I walk outside. He hands me the keys to a full t- full-size crew cab dually pickup hooked to their dump bed trailer. He's like, here's the keys. Here's this to the address. Here's the address. Take it to the job. Oh, goodness. Like, I hadn't even known, the, known these people for 12 hours, and they're already handing me the keys and, like, everything. Like, that's weird. But, like, sure. Like, anything, like, any upgrade over a small car is great. Yeah. And so, like, I spent the week there working. The first week there working. I think they had one or two teams there from, like, Pennsylvania or something. And we re-roofed the house. Got to spend a little bit of time with the owners. And the end of the week... We're finishing up on Friday. We're pretty much all done. I was pretty much all done and standing around. So I got in the, took the truck and trailer and headed back early. And y'all got back to the base and you're like, okay, y'all go. Well, here's a couple of credit cards. Go dump it at the landfill and fill it up, fill up the fuel tanks on the way back and stuff. And so I pretty much rain of the truck and trailer. And I was standing there talking to Ryan. He started explaining that, like, for one, it's rare that individuals like me showed up to volunteer and it was even more rare that anybody stayed more than a week because most people just get a week off of work and go yeah. home so it was like it's rare that i i was there independently and that like they were getting anybody that stayed longer than a week and they're all short-staffed anyway and they always struggle because they get a new team of people on every week and they don't know what people's skill sets are and stuff so like yeah and so I was talking to Ryan, and he's telling me this. And, like, all the volunteers had, like, lime green T-shirts, and the, the staff had blue. And he's like, yeah, so like, so he's telling me this. And so he's like, anybody that stays here for longer than a week will get blue. <laughs> and we're putting you in charge of a crew next week. <laughs> I'm like, it's just, again, it's weird. I'm like, I've never been accelerated this quickly Mm-hmm. and responsibilities or whatever. So, like, the next week, they had even more people show up, and they divided everybody into, like, four crews. And it pretty much gave me one of them to manage. And so, like, we went over, and, like, the beginning of next week, again, like, he handed me the keys to the pickup. He's like, here's the keys. There's the shed. Load up all the tools, all and any tools you want for this job into the truck, and you have the truck for the week. Okay. And so, like, I'm... Pretty much overseeing this crew working on this home for these people for this week, and we get finished up early, so we went, were given another job the next for the last two days. And halfway through the first day, one of the other crews finished up, and so they gave me a second crew. So I'm like sitting here with like two crews working on a home, and it's just like this is weird. But it's just like God also. But God also landed me in that position because they were short-staffed. And, like, so, yeah, it's just another <laughs> interesting opportunity where it's just, like, I was just showing up to, like, essentially, like, do my good deeds and, like, you know, like, thought it was good something to do and get out of the car for two weeks and, like, do something productive with my time for a good cause and end up being almost excelled or whatever. But anyway, I ended up given multiple positions and doing way more 
than I was expecting or would normally happen. And yet that was the, just end up with those opportunities of getting a range of the trucks and then a couple of crews to work with and being able to just help, help them manage some of what was going on. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, the first week, the on Monday of the first week when I was there, went out on the first job, the first day, turns out a couple, two more of my friends happened to be out in North Carolina that weekend for a conference, had extra time, swung by the base, saw my car parked there, and so like, and like again, hadn't talked to anybody in like, by that point, a month and a half, like, I'm just kind of like, here, working, doing my own thing. And I come back from lunch break and like Adam and Hannah walks around the corner like, hey, I know you guys. (laughs) It's just weird how just like miles away, no communication with anybody and things happen. Mm -hmm. It's like God just working it all out to like use like other fellow believers and even us, you know, like to be blessings to other people and to be like helps or just like sometimes just the crazy circumstances of just... Mm -hmm. How it's all connected. Yeah, but I don't know. A lot of people seem to think that like, with like Christian, being Christian and Christians and all that stuff, like, oh, you got to go to Mexico, do missions and good works and all this stuff. And it's just like, no, it's like sometimes just living your life around people and just doing normal stuff sometimes ends up being one of the best places to mm-hmm. do stuff. And you're like, yes, people's called to go to Africa or wherever, but. There's a lot of people floating around, so just taking vacations or going to do missions or what, just da- daily stuff. It's just, there are so many opportunities that we don't even think of or realize at the time that helps further the kingdom of heaven and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the disciples, like wherever they would go. I mean, obviously they were active in missions, but like first they went to their own nation and their own people and people would recognize that they were Jesus's followers. Like they would look at them and they would look at the lives that they lived and be like, "You followed Jesus, didn't you?" And they'd be like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" And it's like, "Well, your life, your walk. That's what testifies of it." And you know, like that importance of going to their neighbors first, going to their own people before you go spread the world mm-hmm. to Africa, which is important, but someone has to stay home and evangelize too. Yeah. One side note, one thing that my dad's always said, it's like, with having, like, being married and having families, where else do you get to invest 18 years of your life into an event, into a individual for the gospel? Mm. Like, that's true. Like, you get married and have kids and stay home and work a day job, and yet you're investing 18 years into every kid, individual, to grow more disciples. Yeah, and sometimes even more, because not everybody moves out when they're 18. Yeah, some people do need to move out when they're 18, but not everybody. And I guess probably the other area I was thinking of moving into was that got to see a lot of interesting things is back. So back in 2015, we had some wildland fires go through our area. So I live... My town, Kamiang, it's in a valley, Kamiang Kuski. Mm-hmm. And we had, back in 2015, we had kind of a dry year. <clears throat> and we had a dry lightning storm come through. So we had the lightning, but with no rain. And we had a couple of dozen lightning strikes in about 10 minutes. Yeah. 
And no matter how much manpower you have, you can't cover that many lightning strikes. And so within yeah. 10 minutes, we had a couple of dozen forest fires burning in the valley, grew in about three million fires. And one or two of them were kind of on the other side of the river or going the other way. And the one had gone probably halfway around the town and then went on up to Woodland towards in that little town community, housing community, about 12 miles out. And uh, so the, for the first two weeks, we were, my parents' place, like, fires were a few miles away and, like, whatever. So we had one or two families living with us that had to evacuate. And then about two weeks, was it a week? No, maybe it was a week, Mark. Um, I think I, uh, I think I was still living at home at that point. No, I wasn't. I was living, I moved out of my parents' place. And I was living on another, in another house on the property. And, uh, my sister and one of her friends were coming back from Michigan to go back to school. <clears throat> my sister's trying to call me up like, Hey, you know, like we should go hiking up close to the Montana border on our way back through. And I was like, well, the fires, but not doing anything. I'm like, okay, fine, sure, whatever. I'll go with you guys. Yeah. And so I was trying to tell him like, hey, we should go Thursday. And my sister's like, no, let's go Friday because it's going to be too much driving. So I'm like, but I'm at work Thursday. She calls me up on the phone. It's like, hey, let's go tonight. So like, I literally go home through what, Ever I could get my hands on in, in a backpack. Bad idea, you know, full bag of potatoes, like sleeping bag, hammock. I don't back that way. <laughs> and went up and met him, and it's like a 12 mile hike round trip. And so, like, with an oversized pack. And uh, so, like, I got up the next morning, 6 a.m., came back, and the fires lit up. And foresight, if I would have known that's going to happen, I wouldn't have gone camping because, like, I got home in the early afternoon, sore, tired, had an hour or two break, and I went down to the train bridge to go jump off of it into the river and had to leave and come back really quick. And I saw the immediate before and after of the fires picking up. And so I knew there were some people that I knew that was right in front of it. So I went over and helped them pull out. And the fires moved, started picking up, and took off. And I had a headwind behind it. And that fire moved over four miles in less than two hours, burned 60-plus homes, mm-hmm. not including outbuildings, and landed almost in my parents' backyard in less than two hours. Yeah. And I, we've been on that place for, like, 25 years. And it's like, try being in pl- one place for 25 years and leaving in less than an hour. It's like, not going to happen. <laughs> and so, like, it's kind of interesting how that all how that weekend all worked out, though, because... Where I live is called Church Canyon, mm-hmm. and pretty much we we pretty much evacuated as much as we can. Got my parents, some of my some of my siblings in their homes, my neighbors, and it's one of those things. We were ninety nine percent guaranteed to lose everything we had. Oh wow! And so it's, it was just a and so like we were pretty much like I walked into my house, grabbed like Bible, passport, guns, and like money and i walked out and kissed we were pretty much just grabbing like a couple of things and like we were just kissing everything else goodbye and so like we packed up and we're pulling out and dad pretty much you know dad's like i've invested in this place i'm not just gonna like leave and watch it burn mm-hmm. so like we were expecting to be completely burned out with you know by 
within a couple of hours by morning. But me, dad, and my brother-in-law stuck around that night with our with our vehicles ready to leave, and we were just gonna walk, wait till the fire crested the tree line, and hope we were gonna hold it out as long as we could, and then leave. And we can't in our canyon. It kind of hit. It came down about three ridges up. Came down on the other side over the course of the weekend. Came came down the third ridge up. Tried burning down the last couple of inches across from us, and then it went down in the canyon, went up, and started hopping the ridges down to my parents' place. And like the first day, Saturday, we spent, you know, we, the, the church I was part of came down, and we spent the entire day fortifying our, our homes and stuff. The next day, the fires started picking up and trying to move, burn through us. And it's kind of interesting. Seeing we had two churches the morning of cancel their church services to come work fires in Church yeah. Canyon. And it's just like like the one pastor of the church I was going to at the time, like he woke up that morning, turned to his wife and told him, I'm not going to church. And like he's the preacher. And she's like, well, like what are you going to do at the church? And it's like, I don't know. He's like, he just fought out. So they stuck around to the church service and he got up in, the, up, uh, up in front of the congregation and pretty much just told everybody like, look, this is the way I feel. I, in good conscience, cannot sit sit around in an air conditioned building and preach while people are down there losing everything they have. Mm-hmm. And so I had two churches plus canceled church the morning of, and people from like two other congregations all show up in the morning to fight fire in Church Canyon. So it's almost like the body of Christ getting together in a Church Canyon to work fires. Mm. Yeah, as a body of believers, rather than sit down in on cushy, cushy pews, pews in air conditioned buildings, and it's like that's like partly it's like to me that like that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Is supposed to be because even though they were all theoretically there to try and save our poems, and but indirectly they're working at saving a lot of everybody else because where my parents' property is, it's at about the neck of the canyon where it narrows down to the thinnest point mm-hmm. and if it crossed my parents pl- place it opened up into the valley onto three different housing yeah. units and so it's like by so technically by the body of Christ showing up to protect my parents property they were saving everybody else mm-hmm. and actually and we were we spent two and a half days on that over the weekend and actually, someone I know afterwards happened to, you know, we were, we were up there pretty much working our own power, like our own system. Like we didn't really have any outside help. And afterwards, someone I know happened to be going through, I think one of the fire crews camps and he happened to hear the fire crews talking about like, like, did you see like what those people did up there in church Canyon? Mm-hmm. Like, like those lines were phenomenal and they were all built by civilians. Mm. and so it's kind of interesting like and i i didn't realize it till afterwards but in town in town right where right where like we're right right where that canyon is the entire town had full view of what was going on i mean going in town you can actually like see like full view of everything that was going on so it's just like right there where everybody could see it and just Mm -hmm. what was going on but one of the things though like getting in there it's just like, so like in the Bible, 
like Old Testament, you hear like stories about battles and stuff, and God's always when he's sending people out to battle or whatever, he's always equipping them with less than what they actually need. Yeah. Which is what we how we were set up because like going through the entire weekend, it's just like we it's like we either didn't have enough water, we didn't have enough manpower, like we didn't like we didn't have the supplies we needed. Mm-hmm. And we were always falling behind and I think the day that everybody canceled church, me and a crew of guys were going out putting hand line on one of these up the side of the mountain and it's a canyon, so like it's steep and we're like we're manually digging this hand line going up. And like it got, like it dwindled down to like me and another friend and then we were, we were just putting it up as high as we can before we got burned out and then we finally got started getting more and more help and like during the entire time, like, we kept on looking up this mountain, like, we're not going to get there in time. We're mm-hmm. just going to try and put that fire up as far as we can up that mountainside. And we literally got to the top at the right as the fire was entering the trees. But right when we were getting there, we had a little bit of a um, incident. Um, I was, I think, the, I think there was a group of eight of, uh, eight of us, and that's towards the end of the line. I had two guys behind me. And... We had a large boulder dislodge and strike one of the guys behind me. Mm-hmm. And I saw out of my peripheral, and this big boulder, probably 18, 20, 24 inches in diameter, started rolling down the hill. And by the time I saw it, it was probably bouncing about two, three feet up in the air and clearing like eight, 10 feet per hop down of distance down the hill. Goodness. And I saw it out of the corner of my eye, and the two guys were behind me i thought they were a lot closer than they were mm-hmm. so i didn't double check until i heard a grunt behind me and turns out the two guys oh, it was a steep hill so like the guy there's one guy standing behind the other one and the other guy was bent over with a pick but the other guy was standing behind him downhill mm-hmm. so he didn't see the boulder coming oh. and the first guy looks up and sees this boulder bigger than his head go right past his ear and the other guy all of a sudden had this big old boulder. It caught him kind of right in his rib cage, left shoulder to rib cage, picked him up off his feet, and landed him several feet down the hill right on his back. Mm. And it's just like, I don't know how, like obviously a miracle, but like I don't know how he didn't have a, a crushed chest. Yeah. Like all his ribs and shoulders should have been crushed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like we're at the top of a mount of a mountain. No, no access with no access in the front of a wildland fire, and how are we supposed to? <laughs> You're not going to be uh, able to carry like, your person. We're down. not like not getting an ambulance in here, not getting a life flight. Like we're not getting anything in here. We're not getting this guy out, and like somehow, like he was a nurse. So like, he a few seconds later, like he shakes himself loose, stands up and sh- uh, he sits up, checks himself, stands up. And walks off the mountain. And like he he went in later and got himself x-rayed and stuff. He had no broken bones, mm. just severe bruising, and he was sore for the next week. Goodness. It's like, how does that happen? It's a miracle. <laughs> and so there's there's things with that all weekend where it's just like we got the short we were getting the short end of the steak every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the next the next morning we we didn't quite get all of it contained and uh it, it, the last 
ridgeline before my parents placed. They had somebody somebody had put a dozer line across the top and down halfway down the, the ridge line. Mm-hmm. And right where that dozer line stopped, we saw like the top half was all grass, a little bit of brush in the valleys, and the bottom half was all timber. And it hit the top corner and started going down going back downhill through the grass towards the timber and it's like got to the point like, okay. So like if we don't stop this now then, like, we're going to lose everything and all of our work's been for nothing. Mm-hmm. So, like, we went up and uh, got going, started cutting handline going across. And uh, we uh, were in the valleys, and I, I was running the chainsaw. There was about six or seven of us, and I had the chainsaw. And pretty much going through the thicket of brush, you clear the timber and get rid of all the debris. It's about the only thing you can do. And I had the chainsaw. We got far enough in to be committed and the chainsaw runs out of gas oh no and so like you could feel everybody's hopes just like die because like that was the only chance we had at getting this done mm-hmm. but, like we're there and you know a lot of people would say like well like if it wasn't safe you should have been in that position like well <laughs> like this has like this needed to be done so like we're mm-hmm. in there and like we're trying to get like trying to do something and like Pretty much the entire deck of cards got stacked to get against us. Everything that could go wrong went, went wrong. Chainsaw ran out of gas. The fire started pe- picking up heat and started to move, and it was started jumping our line that we created, making us backtrack. And then it also started outrunning us, making us try and skip forward. And then it got so hot, like we couldn't even be there. So it's like we ended up in there, pretty much flat out, trying to save our own heights. Mm-hmm. Like, like we couldn't get out, we couldn't leave, and the fire was fixing to burn straight through us. And we were just in there after a weekend, tired, worn out, desperately, desperately trying not to get burned. And then just like so, like what we were just going full for the full force. And then out of nowhere, the fire just the fire had every reason to move, go right through us and move on. Yeah. And then just right before it did. All of a sudden, it just burned itself up and it was gone within about 30 seconds. Oh, goodness. And so it's like, yeah, like one moment we were just like trying, couldn't even keep up. And then another second, we were just standing there and it's like, how, like, obviously, like, again, miracle, but we were just standing there. A few seconds later, not being burned alive, staring at Cole's numbers. And it's just like, how is that even possible? Yeah, wildfires <laughs> just don't burn themselves out like that. Yeah, so, like, but, yeah, it's just, there's... Like, just God's hand working and, yeah. like, protecting you and protecting the people because, like, forest fires, when they don't get going and they don't, when they get going and they don't get contained, yeah. they destroy so many houses. Like, I remember mm-hmm. after that fire happened, just driving and watching people's homes just burnt to the ground. And, like, it's so sad because people lose so much and like it's so great that you know like those churches showed up but they were like the body of christ in that moment and like Mm -hmm. your ox is in the ditch you're about to lose everything you have we should show up and help you know yeah yeah there's you know the parable of jesus tells like when the like when the donkey falls in the ditch you're not just gonna leave it there till the next day like you're gonna go out there and get the donkey out it's like so yeah like sometimes no matter the day of the week, you know, it's like sometimes as a body of Christ, you just need to step up and do something for somebody. Because mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think we knew a few people that lost their homes. And, like, you know, I think quite a few people had insurance. But still, it's devastating to lose all of that because you don't think clearly. You don't grab everything you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like, also God's hand in, like, putting out that fire, you know, bringing in the church there, making sure, you know, that one guy didn't get hurt and then protecting you guys from getting burned. Because, like, even if you are in the safe situation with fires, things can go wrong so quick. Yeah. And you get yourself in bad spots. And it it just happens. But God being there protecting you, even though you're getting the short straw, him still working through that. Yeah. It's, no matter whether you're doing missions or work at home, staying home at doing day jobs, there's, there's always ways to work in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're... Living and you're walking with God, he will shine through you and he will give you opportunities to witness. And even when you get the short end of the stick, he will come through. And then all you can do is glorify him because that's the only way it could have been done. Mm-hmm. God's hand working. But, yeah. But it's just longer you, uh, the longer you go, try and follow Christ, the more you, <coughs> things you'll see and experience and be able to have a hand of be able to have a part in yeah everything in the small day-to-day witnessing and even in like the big miracles of protecting us during fires and other things mm-hmm. yeah well thank you reese thank you for sharing we really appreciate it and i really enjoyed the stories you shared because i think it's important that we remember that we can witness in our every day-to-day life no matter what our job is and you know god really has protected us and he is shows up even when we get the short end of the stick and we don't have enough people and maybe we shouldn't always be there. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate it. And listeners, tune in next week for Kylie recording somebody else. Bye. If you've enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to follow, share, like, and review. Also, you can contact us at our Facebook page. That is God is Real, God is Good podcast. Or you can email us at God is Real, God is Good podcast at gmail.com. Bye! Bye.